This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Thanks for joining us here on Side Alpha Podcast. Uh, we're here today with Greg Ward. Greg is the Division Chief of Operations for the Loveland, Colorado Fire Rescue Authority. Chief Ward brings us over 30 years of fire service experience in several departments, including Loveland and service as a United States Air Force firefighter. Chief Ward serves as the chairman of the Colorado Governor's Board of Training and Certification and is a third generation Colorado firefighter and chief. Chief Ward, in the United States, it seems like we're seeing an increasing series of challenging times with violent protests, uh, riot situations, uh, you know, things fire departments were kind of immune to for the most part, but now we find ourselves right in the middle of them. Some departments have uh, remained at arm's length from engagement, while others have absorbed the shock. Um, You recently lent your experience to the discussion of special operations and tactical firefighting teams um, as part of Fire Rescue One's special coverage series of mass violence, uh, enhanced training for emerging threats, which, by the way, is now live on Fire Rescue One, so our our listeners uh, and our readers can go uh, take a look at that. Can you can you give our listeners kind of a 30,000 foot look at what the Loveland Fire Rescue Authority is doing with tactical firefighting teams or TAC units? Yeah, thanks, Chief. Um, the, uh, the things we're doing in, in Loveland, Colorado, um, somewhat unique, at least in this area, um, that uh, really there's three areas that that we've dedicated to assisting law enforcement uh, pretty significantly. Um, the the first one, and that's the one we'll spend the most time with, is our our tactical fire team. Um, the second one is the rescue task force training that I know many many fire departments have been doing and continue to do across the country for active assailant uh, type incidents. And then the third one is we support the uh, Northern Colorado Bomb Squad, which is a law enforcement-driven um, group here in in Northern Colorado, um, we support them with hazmat uh, technicians. Um, so those are the the three areas that that we uh, we really strive to assist our our partners in law enforcement. Um, the tactical firefighting team is is the the one that's probably the most active. Um, in fact, we have a a station, an engine crew that's dedicated to, to this role uh, every day. Um, this station trains with the SWAT team uh, monthly, sometimes twice a month, um, and they respond to uh, about 90% of the the SWAT team's callouts that uh, they have here in in Loveland, and and that uh, those callouts range from you know 25 to 35 callouts a year. Mm-hmm. general. Um, so they, uh, they're fairly active and, and that crew responds to, to most of those to support the, the mission of the SWAT team. Yeah. So is that a, uh, also a, I guess you would call it a regular fire station uh, otherwise, or are they a specialty team? What's, what's their role if they're not in the SWAT environment? Yeah, it's, it's a normal fire station, normal engine company. Each of our stations are assigned, uh, a, uh, either a specialty or a program. So uh, we have a station that specializes in uh, 
special operations, which is the tech rescue and the hazmat um, uh, station that takes care of quartermaster duties. And, and so a wide variety, each station has something in, and our station five is assigned a tactical firefighting team. So all of the firefighters assigned to that company are trained in, in uh, SWAT operations. And then uh, beyond that, there's, uh, there's four to five more uh, department members that um, are not assigned to that station that are also part of that team that if it gets, uh, if an incident goes beyond the capability of that on-duty company, we can page them for off-duty response to supplement the staffing for that. That's good. It's interesting. So, you know, I know a lot of people, uh, both the community and in the uh, emergency services have gotten used to seeing ambulances stand by or medic units stand by on SWAT callouts, but a fire crew on the scenes, a little unusual uh, to a lot of folks. How did you build that relationship and what, what uh, pitfalls were there to overcome in getting that relationship built between law enforcement and, and the fire service? Yeah, that, that is a little bit unusual for, uh, for a fire truck to be uh, standing by at a, a SWAT incident. And uh, there, there's a lot of the SWAT incidents that initiate from the, a briefing in the police department uh, building, and then they travel in a convoy to wherever the the incident is, um, if it's a planned event like a warrant. And so it's interesting to see that uh, that convoy of police vehicles with a fire truck um, usually bringing up the, the tail end of that convoy as well. So um, we've always had a good relationship with law enforcement here in Loveland. We're fortunate in that aspect. Um, really where, where this was born and the, the relationship really started to take off. In 2006, 2007, uh, we were dealing with uh, several illegal drug lab uh, raids in northern Colorado, and, and we really had to start working closely with law enforcement, the drug task force, and then the SWAT teams as they were doing those, those raids because of the hazmat uh, component to each one of those missions. And so we really started to, to make that relationship between fire and uh, law enforcement really, really solid through that. And at the same time that um, we were working those operations, um, we were in Loveland Fire Rescue, we were building our, our technical rescue team. And uh, so we were getting a lot of new equipment in, a lot of training to our, our personnel on this equipment. And... Uh, and that equipment would be on scene of these um, incidents that uh, we were dealing with with the law enforcement. And uh, they took some interest in some of the equipment we had on the apparatus, especially dealing with forcible entry. And uh, from that point, we got a request from the SWAT team to uh, do some forcible entry training for the, for the SWAT team's uh, entry personnel. And uh, so that I think that was kind of unique that they stepped out of, of their norm and, and came and asked for some help. And it was definitely out of the norm for us to be teaching people outside of the fire service uh, forcible entry. But it's a really it's a common mission, a common task that we have to both complete. And we have the tools and the expertise to, to do a lot of that stuff that uh, that they really didn't have the the background um, and training to to accomplish effectively. So that uh, 
that blossomed into uh, uh, having the fire engines, uh, rescue truck standby on SWAT incidents. And then uh, um, we had a, a SWAT incident where a piece of equipment was deployed off of the heavy rescue truck. It was a small airbag. They SWAT team needed to lift a garage door just enough to get a camera underneath the door. And uh, that was able to be accomplished with a, with a small airbag that our firefighters quickly taught a SWAT operator how to, to utilize. So um, that, uh, that was probably the most significant step into building the, the tactical fire team. Um, from there, we sat down as leadership between the organizations and really took a look at what are the things that fire can do to support TAC fire, or, I'm sorry, support uh, SWAT operations um, and still remain in a fire rescue role, not step out into a law enforcement role. So that it really took off from, from that point. We started to put together people from the fire department that was interested in participating in the in the SWAT operations and, and building that team and then uh, getting them trained with the with the SWAT operators. Yeah, I was reading your article and uh, you tell that story of the airbag and it's uh, pretty neat stuff. We don't uh, a lot of times see law enforcement uh, agencies uh, actually take the time to stop and say, hey, can you show us how to use that? And uh, for some agencies, I've seen that be a fine line where uh, you show them how to use it. And the next thing you know, they've gone out and bought their own. <laughs> so it uh, it's it could always be a double edged sword. But it sounds like you all got a great relationship uh, working there in Loveland. And uh, you've been able to maximize that relationship so that uh, you bring the tools and um, they have the folks that are um, that are ready to go. Now, I also read in, in your article that. Um, your folks have the same protective level provided to them. Can you explain that, the, the vest and whatnot that they have? Yeah, we, we've outfitted our, uh, our TAC fire personnel with the, with the same uh, ballistics um, vests and helmets, um, communication equipment that uh, the members of SWAT have. Um, the only difference looking at a, a group of people that are part of the SWAT team is um, our firefighters have a, a white lettering on the front and back that says rescue and the uh, uh, medics that are assigned from our local ambulance provider, Thompson Valley EMS, there's say medic on them. Um, so that's the only difference uh, when you, when you're looking at the team to try and identify a fire police or EMS within that team. Um, but we felt it was important if we're going to put our firefighters in that position um, to be operating on these calls that they have the, the same level of protection as, as the SWAT operators. Um, there's definitely a budgetary impact there with, uh, with those, those vests and those helmets and rotating those out, um, but uh, it's well worth it to have the, the firefighters protected for doing yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I applaud you for that. It's, that's um, it's great and sometimes overlooked, uh, making sure that that ballistic protection is available. I also saw that while you're, and just want to make sure your firefighters and medics that are part of this uh, are not armed, but they are trained. Yeah, that, that's correct. We, um, we have not gone down the road. We don't plan to go down the road of uh, getting our, our uh, 
firefighters in any way trained in in and certified in law enforcement to be able to to carry weapons. But it was important um, to to the SWAT commanders um, that our firefighters were trained in how to safety and and if they absolutely had to operate all of the weapons that SWAT carries. So if we do have a, a downed officer um, and we're, we're getting that officer to, to the medics for care, that the firefighters could safety that weapon. Or worst case, if a firefighter made it to that downed officer and then had to defend both of them, they could pick that weapon up and, and do that and have confidence in their ability to use that weapon. So, yeah, they get they get trained, um, but uh, we're not going down the the path of them being post certified or or any other type of law enforcement certification. Okay, yeah, and I know that's a big discussion point in emergency services has been. Um, so I'm I'm glad to hear that at least you're providing them with the protection. And we'll talk in just a minute about kind of that mission creep discussion that we started to have there. But first, in your plan, um, you have what the uh, company will go to basically broken down into, into 10 different areas. And I know there's there has to be a careful and deliberate distinction between law enforcement duties and firefighting duties when you're talking about a SWAT operation. Uh, so you, it does look like you've put a fairly robust program together. Can you tell our listeners about the 10 areas that you've broken the TAC response into? Yeah, uh, we, we did have to put a lot of a lot of thought into these 10 areas and it's changed over time. We've added a couple um, since we've had the, the team in place, but uh, the, the 10 areas, um, we, we strive to maintain the fire rescue um, mission within these. Um, the first one's fire suppression planning and engagement. So our members are involved in all of the um, briefings if it's a planned SWAT event like a warrant. Um, and if it's a, an event that's unfolding now versus a planned event, they're involved in the, the briefings on scene, the initial briefings. And, and really the one of the key things that our firefighters are keying into is what, what does it look like the threat for a fire um, is, is really gonna be with this incident. And then they, they can watch and they can see the tactics that SWAT is utilizing with the flashbang devices or uh, chemical weapon, you know, uh, tear gas, that kind of thing. And and so they can they can work on a plan for a fire situation. Um, really, our goal in a in a fire situation is to keep the keep the fire to the to the building that it starts in and uh and protect the surrounding you know neighborhood and so they uh they work on that plan they identify their travel path in their hydrant location where we're going to put an elevated master stream if needed and they they lay that plan out one one of the tac fire members always stays with the the apparatus to be able to um, go to that water supply and start that process of um, uh, initiating that fire plan so I think that's a that's a big one that it really falls within our mission. Obviously, the the second one is the rescue of downed officers and civilians. Um, we uh, 
we want to have our, our firefighters in a position where they can quickly, um, under the, the protection of officers, get to a downed officer and get them out of that situation. Um, we're really not uh, focused on treating that officer as much as getting to them and, and getting getting them out. And that can be the same for a, a civilian as well if we have that situation um, being that rescue component. And then we're going to uh, back up our, our EMS partners with Thompson Valley EMS that provides the TEMS medics for uh, the SWAT team. Uh, they, they're the, the ones that are going to provide that first level of care. They're the ALS uh, provider in our community. Um, so our job is really to get the, get the injured to them. But if they become overwhelmed with numbers of patients, our firefighters can step in and, and uh, start providing medical assistance as well. Um, so that, that's a, the third bullet point. The, the fourth one is um, the forcible entry and SWAT terminology, that, at least here in Loveland, they call that breaching. And we're still advising um, the SWAT team entry personnel on, on forcible entry techniques. And if they have a, a planned SWAT event, a lot of times they have pictures of the doors. And if it's anything beyond a normal residential door, they'll, uh, they'll come to the firefighters and ask for suggestions on how to, how to breach that door. They'll look for uh, tool selection from our, from our folks on uh, what tool's gonna work best to defeat that door. So that, that's ongoing um, from the very first uh, training we did with them that I mentioned a, a bit ago, we, we continue to assist with the forcible entry portion. Um, the fifth one, um, we uh, we started down a path early on with TAC Fire of trying to train uh, SWAT operators on how to use ground ladders because occasionally they need to get to a second floor window or or to a roof. And and what we found was it was probably just easier and more efficient for the firefighters with the right protective equipment on under the protection of the the officers to go throw the ladders themselves. Our firefighters are, are so proficient in ladders, just like most agencies, that that ladder can can be up and our firefighters can be out of there quicker than than probably a couple SWAT officers even just carrying the ladder up to the to the structure. So um, providing the ground ladder operations for for the SWAT operation. Um, something similar with uh, number six here, and that's uh, rope rigging. Um, our SWAT team wanted the capability to do uh, rappelling. And so they asked about training uh, SWAT members and how to do the rigging for the rappelling. And in the end, what we determined was uh, we probably don't need to train the SWAT officers in the rigging. We need to train them in how to rappel. Let the firefighters do the rigging. We do that you know, on a, on a regular basis with our, our uh, special operations folks and, and some most of our uh, TAC fire personnel have come out of the special operations uh, section of our, of our department. So they have that background. So it's an easy, easy transition. It's uh, different color ropes is all it is uh, to, to transition to SWAT operations. SWAT has black ropes. So it's, it, it's just a different color uh, rope, and uh, but the rigging is all the same as for what we do for rescue. So it, it made easy sense to uh, uh, really, really just let our firefighters do that rigging for, for the rope work. 
Um, hazmat is is still a component. That's the the seventh thing on our list. Um, we want to have our firefighters in a position to do rapid decon on a on a SWAT operation. If the if the uh, SWAT operators get into some sort of of chemical that we can be in a position to rapidly take care of uh, decontamination for them and then transition into some hazmat operations um, initially until we get the, the hazmat team there to, to go further. Um, the eighth one is something a little bit different, something fairly new that we've taken on in the last couple of years. Um, our firefighters are, are trained and generally um, drive the armored SWAT vehicle. And it just kind of fell into a, a natural fit for this that um, all of our firefighters are um, trained in driving, you know, larger vehicles. And uh, it just made sense that uh, if we could have a firefighter drive that vehicle, that puts a attack fire or rescue member um, up close into the, into the scene. Um, and if we have a firefighter driving the vehicle, that allows one more SWAT member to fulfill their role of what they need to do on the scene. So um, our firefighters are, are driving the uh, armored SWAT vehicle generally. It's just some training on uh, SWAT tactics and how to position it is really the, all, all that was needed to get our firefighters up to speed on that. Uh, number nine, we try and, and always have a battalion chief or the captain that runs our TAC fire team in the command post with any of the, the SWAT incidents. And, and this has been one of the, I, I think, hardest ones for um, really for the police side of it to allow somebody from the outside of the, the law enforcement world into the, into the command post. Um, but we found it, it, it's really important that we have that person there because uh, that, that fire person um, is able to say, uh, we, we have something on the, the heavy rescue truck that can assist with this, or if fire, yes, fire can accomplish that, or, or no, that's, that's outside of fire's uh, responsibility or capability. And it's really transitioned well into into making the scenes go go significantly better with the communication between uh, fire and police on scene. And then the last one, number 10, um, our TAC fire personnel uh, provide the active assailant rescue task force training to all LFRA, um, Loveland Fire Rescue Authority personnel annually. They work with the, the police department and EMS to do uh, joint trainings once or twice a year um, for for all those agencies, and so they really take the the role in that. Um, all of our firefighters on every company are trained with rescue task force um, um, operations training. They have the every company has the the ballistic vests and helmets, and um, so they they're out there on on every one of the companies and. And they respond to that. Our uh, TAC fire personnel just take the lead in in training because they have that relationship built with the the right people in EMS and law enforcement to coordinate that every year. Um, I, I think one of the keys with the rescue task force training that that we found and and we had to work with the leadership of both um, police and our our EMS provider was to really carve out an MOU that 
lays out the parameters of each of the agency's responsibility. And, and uh, once it's on paper, it looks fairly simple. There's, as you know, so many things in the background that make this a, these incidents really complicated and complex. But really on paper, you know, law enforcement is going to locate, contain, and neutralize the threat. Fire's role is to rescue victims and EMS is patient care and transport. So that's what our, our whole rescue task force concept is, is built around. And then uh, obviously having a s- strong incident command system to, to make all that happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great points. Um, appreciate you going through them. Uh, I want to close out our discussion today talking a little bit more about that relationship. Uh, we kind of mentioned Mission Creep before, and I imagine the opportunity for Mission Creep is high, both um, emotionally and just from a, a tactical perspective. So how do you ensure that the TAC firefighters stay in their lane? And then finally, uh, as you as you talk about that, what advice can you give other departments that are thinking about taking a similar posture as this TAC approach? Okay. Um, mission creep is, uh, is something that, uh, the TAC fire, uh, captain, um, is probably tired of, of hearing the chief officers talk about and remind him of it's, it's, uh, it truly is a, a constant, um, thing we look at. I can't say it's a constant battle, but it's, it's something that we're always evaluating. We're always making adjustments. Um, as with most emergency service workers, um, you know, our firefighters have a short span of attention. And when they're, uh, they're at SWAT training and there's, there's something uh, much cooler than, uh, than carrying victims around or deploying hose lines behind the armored vehicle going on on the other side of the, yeah. the drill ground, um, you know, our, our firefighters want to be doing that a lot of times. And, and so it, it really comes back to the leadership of that, that captain to keep them focused, keep them, um, keep them working within, within our mission. It, we have stepped out of bounds. Um, at times we, uh, we've had a, a SWAT incident where, uh, uh, a couple people were detained and the SWAT officers handed those off to a couple firefighters that were standing there and said, you know, hang on to these, uh, these two for us, um, we'll be back. And uh, we had to, we had to circle back and have some discussions with SWAT leadership going, that's, that's not a role. That's definitely outside of a fire rescue role. And, uh, and, they said, Man, "You're, you are correct, and and we can't let that happen." And well, there, there's been times like that where we've had we've had some of that mission creep come in, and we've had to recognize it early before it gets out of control. Because, as as you know, if if you don't take care of it early, it's going to become the norm, and sure. then it's going to be really hard to to backtrack on that. So we try and jump on that stuff early. Yeah, the, the, the normalization of uh, deviance, that's, uh, that's exactly what it becomes. Absolutely. Yeah, 100 um, percent. For the for the advice uh, for other departments, um, I, I think it uh, for for us, it, it took the right uh, 
leadership team between the two agencies and then um, further into it, uh, adding the, the leadership of the uh, Thompson Valley EMS into this to really, really build it strong. But we, we had to have the leadership that was open-minded to look outside of the norm of, um, of our operation, especially on the, on the fire rescue side and, and go, how can we support these operations while staying within our lanes and, uh, to really build it off of that. And the second part was we, once we had that vision from from the leadership of the organizations, uh, we had some great officers, both on the fire and the police side, that did the work. They uh, uh, we had a battalion chief and a captain from fire that they they put the work into really making this effective. They spent the time with the SWAT leadership to build the program. To, to teach the program to both fire police and then including EMS um, in that uh, so everybody understood what those roles were. So I, I think uh, having the having the big big picture leadership that's open to something a little bit different can see a, a vision of where we need to go with it and then um, getting the, the right people at the tactical lev- level in to build it. Um, has been has been huge for us yeah no fantastic <clears throat> well chief ward i appreciate you being with us i want to capture um, a couple points uh, four points that you made that uh, i want to drive home to folks one that uh, relationship building was key to maximizing this effort and will be key to any uh, building any effort uh, two from a tactical perspective providing the same ballistic protection to your firefighters and the EMS personnel, uh, the same protection as a law enforcement officer. That's critical for their people's safety, but also uh, for their psyche. Uh, three was that having a command liaison was critical to the overall success of these incidents as they expand. Uh, and then finally, the necessity to keep your people focused on the fire and EMS mission while still being able to support the program. So great stuff. Uh, We have been talking with uh, Division Chief of Operations for the Loveland, Colorado Fire Rescue Authority, Greg Ward. I want to remind our listeners, they can uh, read Chief Ward's article, uh, which is titled Beyond the Traditional Fire Rescue Mission, Loveland's TAC Fire. Uh, That article is live uh, now on Fire Rescue One as part of our special coverage. Uh, that series is titled Mass Violence, Enhanced Training for Emerging Threats. Thanks again, Chief Ward. This is Mark Bayshore. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time right here on Side Alpha Podcast. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care. <laughs>